Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Olivia Westley. Olivia is the Development Director for Forgotten Cats Incorporated. After a brief stint as a teacher, she discovered her true and undeniable passion of helping animals. She began volunteering with Forgotten Cats at one of their adoption centers and very quickly became more and more involved. She's been working as their development director for two years now. Forgotten Cats is a 501c3 organization with the mission of preventing the birth and suffering of unwanted kittens by controlling the free-roaming cat population through TNVR. We accomplish this mission by providing free or low-cost sterilization for owners of companion cats and caregivers of homeless cats in Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey. They conduct their operations in three facilities in which cats are provided medical treatment and shelter and 11 off-site adoption centers. With over 700 volunteers, they sterilize between 8,000 to 11,000 cats and place approximately 1,200 cats into their adoption network each year. Their specific services involve working with colony caregivers to identify all cats in a colony, after which they trap, transport, sterilize, recuperate, and return feral cats to caregivers. Friendly cats and kittens under 12 weeks are held and placed for adoption. Since 2003, Forgotten Cats has sterilized over 110,000 cats. I'm going to repeat that one again because that's such a big number. 110,000 cats and prevented the birth of millions of kittens. Olivia, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What an accomplished group. And I'm so excited to take a deep dive in the story around Forgotten Cats and and how the program got going and how you've been able to be so incredibly successful in 15 years, basically. But first, I'd, I'd like to ask you, how did you personally get involved in animal welfare? Growing up, I always was an animal lover, you know, and when I went to college, I first was like, I want to be a vet, you know, I love animals. And then I was like, wait, I'm so bad at math and science. So that's not going to work. And I went into teaching. And that's what I, you know, got my degree in. And, you know, like I said, in my little bio, that um, while I was teaching, I got involved at one of the Forgotten Cats Adoption Centers, which is in PetSmart. And I got involved, you know, just when I was buying food for my cat. And I quickly became addicted. Um, I was there basically any time that I wasn't at my actual job. You know, it started with adoptions and then I got involved in processing applications and then I started to go to the clinic and then I called the um, CEO and I just said to her, look, like, I don't like my job. (laughs) I really want to work with animals. Do you have anything? And at the time she didn't, but then um, she got back in touch a couple months later and offered me a position as the development director and um, that's where I've been for two years now I love it and I love you know making a difference for cats and saving as many as we can so tell me a bit about Forgotten Cats it was started in 2003 is there a story about how Forgotten Cats got started and it's amazing to me that you operate in four different states so I am definitely going to touch upon like how do you manage that but first maybe share with us a bit about you know Forgotten Cats origins 
our executive director, Felicia Cross, um, started the organization. Um, she lived over in Ireland briefly. And when she was in Ireland, that's when she got involved with TNR. She didn't know what it was before um, being over there, but there were a bunch of homeless cats over there and she got involved and was kind of doing her own little independent thing. She came back over to Delaware and was, you know, just shocked by how many homeless cats she was seeing and started to conduct TNR here. And again, at this point, it was really a one woman show. You know, she was tracking cats, putting them in her van, keeping them in her garage, transporting them to the SPCA. Then she linked up with our vice president and he was like, you should really start your own 501c3. And so she did. Then she, you know, we had this little facility in Delaware where she was, you know, doing trapping, keeping the cats at the facility, slowly growing, getting a vet, doing our own surgeries. And, you know, from that, we really grew. I mean, I think initially they were doing 20 cats a week. And, you know, now we're up to between eight to 11,000 cats a year. So the credit really goes to, you know, our executive director, Felicia. She was the driving force and, you know, she started it back in 2003 and has since grown from putting cats in the back of her car to having three facilities that function as both clinics and shelters and then 11 off-site adoption centers. And just to, to add this, you know, she started as a TNR organization and that was her mission and adoption was never anywhere in the picture and what happened was you know we kept trapping all these friendly cats and she's like I can't put these back out and so then came a whole adoption piece into our organization and so that is why you know any friendly cats we trap or any kittens under 12 weeks old we do place for adoption in our adoption centers. So it's an interesting model. So she pretty much decided very early on not to go it alone, but maybe at that point in time, there weren't adoption resource partners. I've worked with several organizations that are very TNR focused and maybe even also very clinic focused. So creating a facility like a Humane Alliance style type clinic, but yet partnering with organizations that do adoption so that they don't have that adoption component. I don't know if that was something that was ever considered as a model or adoption, but it sounds like she was trying to create sort of an all-in-one shop. I hate to kind of use that shop word, but we are a business and we have to think like a business at certain times. And it sounds like she's sort of putting everything in one place. Yeah, she really, she really did. And that was part of the reason, you know, the biggest hurdle for her and for a lot of small, you know, TNR groups still is surgery. And she was, putting them in her garage and then she'd take them to the SPCA, they'd get sterilized. They only give her five slots mm -hmm. a clinic and then she'd bring them back to her garage and she couldn't expand to the size that we needed. And so that's why she was like, she just thought to herself, I'm going to create my own clinics and our clinics and our shelters have expansive space to hold traps. We can hold in our clinics about a hundred traps at one time. And so that really allows forgotten cats to trap an entire colony. So what we do is we go out and, you know, we get calls from people, say I'm feeding 10 cats in my backyard and we go out, we set the traps and we work very closely with the colony caregiver. As we're trapping these cats, we're bringing them back to our facility and holding them there. 
And then, you know, even once the caregiver says, oh, you got them all, we'll still trap, you know, an extra few days just because normally there's more than they originally thought. And they're all held at our facility. And then once we catch them all, we will sterilize them all. You know, they have a couple day recovery and then release them all at the same time. So in her mind, creating our own facilities was really the only way for us to effectively trap entire colonies and to do multiple large colonies at one time. Forgotten Cats is very adamant about attempting to get every single cat because, you know, if you miss three cats, they're going to keep reproducing. So when we trap, we really try to get the whole colony in order to solve that problem. We're proud to be an affiliate of Space Kitty Express, makers of handmade refillable catnip alternative cat toys. Think Valerian, Silver Vine, Honeysuckle, etc. for the discerning cat who wants to try something new or doesn't respond to catnip. You can even get 10% off your purchase at Space Kitty Express by using the code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout. Help your kitty blast off today with some new toys from www.spacekittyexpress.com. Did you miss the 2018 online cat conference that we held in January? Or would you like to share some of the conference webinars with friends? You can now purchase the presentations and share them with colleagues and friends. Just visit our recordings page, which is under the resources tab, to access webinars from some of the leading personalities in feline welfare today. They're sure to give you and your cat-loving friends great ideas on ways to help even more cats. Check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com. It seems like you are very specific in doing what I reference oftentimes as being sort of the traditional TNR model, which is ensuring that you have a relationship with a caregiver, that there is, you know, some sort of a connection there and that you are striving to get to 100% sterilization in any colony that you work with rather than the other angle or the other approach that other organizations take, you know, a sort of a return to field concept, which, you know, is not necessarily taking such a deep dive on an individual colony and caregiving situation. And I'm not necessarily saying the return to field is a bad idea, but it's a different idea. And I think that we have to start being very careful when we're talking about traditional TNR model, as well as the sort of return to field model having sort of very different goals where return to field is not necessarily worrying about whether there's 90% of cats still in that area that aren't spayed and neutered and there's only 10% that are done where in this traditional TNR model we're talking about really striving to ensure that we have the information we need in order to get to 100% sterilization and it sounds like forgotten cats is sitting sort of in that traditional TNR model. That's correct. So with that said, and with 15 plus years of experience, what have you seen for community cats in Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey? How has the world changed for community cats over all those years? Well, it's certainly improved. So Forgotten Cat services the entire state of Delaware. And when we started conducting TNR in Delaware, which is where our work started, by the way, and the Office of Animal Welfare, you know, wasn't, it wasn't that they didn't know what TNR was, but they weren't as familiar with it. And we really partnered with the state and the state of Delaware is a pro TNR state. The state itself supports our work and supports TNR and the problem still exists. I mean, in ideal world, we wouldn't get calls anymore about free roaming cats. Mm-hmm. But 
We have seen a difference in the work that we've done, specifically in areas where we've done high volume targeted TNR. And the one I like to speak about is back in 2015 and 16, we did a targeted project in three cities in Delaware. We did 4,000 cats in two years in, in those three cities. You know, at first, the calls were just rushing in because we had a grant to do, you know, free TNR. So the calls were just coming in, you know, colonies of 30 cats, 40 cats, 50 cats. And by the end of the grant, the second year, the last like three or four months, we actually had to go out door to door and find cats. And we were only getting calls about maybe two stray cats here or three stray cats, whereas opposed to the beginning when it was very large colonies. Since, you know, our work in those areas, we have received a decrease of calls in those specific three cities. And we've seen the um, animal control officers have even said, you know, we're not getting kittens here anymore. You know, and the colonies, we've stayed on top of them. They're managed colony care. Caregivers have told us, you know, no kittens this season, no kittens again. So we've seen a difference in our large targeted areas. And also with specific colonies, we've started a project where we're following up with all colonies we've TNR'd over the past 10 years. And it's a, it's a lot of calls to me. But we've, you know, found that the majority of these caregivers that we're calling have not had kittens showing up. Now, there have been maybe some of the colonies have seen cats dumped or other adults coming into their colony. But the overwhelming response is that these colonies have been maintained and kittens are not being born. So we've definitely seen an improvement through our work over the past 15 years. That's fantastic. And I, I love this well, a terminology that I started sort of in the late 90s was referencing a kitten-free zone. So it sounds like you're having some pockets within the state of Delaware, at least in your targeted areas. And I'm a huge targeting fan of creating some kitten-free zones, which then will hopefully help make some connections sort of throughout the whole state. My list of questions is just growing and growing and growing here. So operating in four states with four different kinds of rules and regulations, as well as I believe at least Maryland, possibly New Jersey, and also Delaware have some statewide funding voucher-ishy type programs or grant programs subsidized through the state, either through like a food tax or license plate or whatever. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, what are the challenges in working in four different states, as well as are you utilizing these resources to really help fund your program? Honestly, I'm not the best person to answer this question. The voucher program, I'm not very educated on it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that we will accept the vouchers, but the majority of our funding comes from independent foundations outside of the state. It's not to say that we haven't received funding from the state of Delaware or from well, we haven't received money from the state of Maryland. We're working with them now. But the majority of our funding comes from the fee for caregivers. Um, Some caregivers will be able to pay for the sterilization of their colony cats. Our funding comes from our adoption fees, as well as 
foundations like PetSmart Charities, Petco Foundation, and places like that. So I guess I'll, I'll ask you as the development director, so most of what you are doing is writing those grant applications as well as other fundraising initiatives? Yes, yes. Grant applications. Um, they We have a big one. Big ones are opening up August 1st. So I'm like living it up this week while I have, while I'm not slammed with grants. But yes, that is what I do. So folks are interested in finding out about the magical sauce on uh, writing the perfect grant application. You might be a resource for them. I wish there was a magic sauce. I wish there was a word that we put in there that just gave us money to do TNR. But we found success recently, actually, within the past two years with grant applications, with trying to partner with specific cities and getting the support of that city or that town Mm -hmm. and having kind of the town manager write a letter on our behalf and say that they need this project and that they are willing to work with us. We have found to the foundations that that seems to be appealing to them, that they like kind of the collaboration with the city and with the organization. And of course, as many listeners already know that right now, kind of a hot topic is collaboration. And, you know, we do try to collaborate with local groups wherever we are doing work to help with the trapping and transportation and and things like that. So that does help with our applications as well. So I took a survey of our listeners probably about a year ago now about what the three things that are the biggest hot topics in their mind or their three biggest challenges. One was spay-neuter capacity. So it sounds like forgotten cats has been addressing that issue for themselves because it sounds like that they had in the early days a spay-neuter capacity issue, so they created clinics. Funding, so we're talking about foundations, and really if you do want to work on getting some funding for spay-neuter, you do have to have your foot in that grant writing pond, so to speak. The last stumbling block is volunteers, and uh, that number of 700 volunteers is just astronomical and probably potentially overwhelming to some of our listeners, but everybody wants to have more volunteers. Are there any tips that you'd like to share with folks about how to help them in that area? That's a really good question. And I'm also always just shocked by that number whenever I hear it. We're very widespread. We have facilities in, actually two of our facilities are in Pennsylvania, but they're about an hour and a half from each other. And we just opened our third facility in downstate Delaware, which again is probably about two hours from our closest Pennsylvania location. And then we have 11 adoption centers and pet smarts and pet co's and these again are in all different counties in pennsylvania and in maryland and in delaware so we are pulling from a very large pool of people you know each of our different adoption centers we have anywhere between 50 to 100 volunteers we really strongly believe that the pet stores especially PetSmart has been huge for us to get volunteers 
Um, and I know not all organizations do adoption, but just that physical presence in that store 24-7, we have adopters coming in there. We have just people that like can't, we just have all these people that we constantly have out our flyers. Everyone that comes through our centers, we're talking to them about volunteering. I really feel that that presence in 11 stores is really what helps us build up. From that, you know, you get these awesome volunteers who start in the adoption center like I did and then they say I want to get more involved and then they're coming to our shelters and to our clinics and they're starting to volunteer there as well as a lot of our colonies that we worked with the caregivers they want to get back we're not shy in asking we'll ask anyone to be a volunteer (laughs) you know I, I really just feel like it's kind of our we're pulling from a very big pool because we are so widespread but I do think that being in those stores is a very big help. So, Olivia, if there are folks interested in finding out more about Forgotten Cats or the work that you do, how would they reach out? So anyone can go to our website. It's www.forgottencats.org. And on there, they'll find information about us. If they need to use our spay-neuter services for colony cats or for their own pets, they can find that there. Or if they're interested in adoption or volunteering, that's all right there. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just say um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we appreciate the work that everyone's doing around the world to help community cats. And I think the one takeaway that I'm getting from the story today with regards to Forgotten Cat's story is that if you feel that there's a resource missing in your community, don't be shy about creating it yourself. Don't be afraid and think, oh, well, I can't have a clinic or I can't open up an adoption center. If you feel that there's a need and it's missing in your community, you can make a difference and create that clinic, build those resources that are necessary for the community cats. I completely agree. You know, with Forgotten Cats' story, we started with one person putting traps in her car in a garage, and she has expanded into an organization that has sterilized over 110,000 cats. So anything is possible. And I hope that there can be a lot more organizations like Forgotten Cats in this world. Olivia, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with me today. And I hope we'll have you on the show in the future. Thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 